to see you this evening. I want to say welcome to Frank and Millicent. Frank Essien and his wife Millicent, we support Frank and his work in Ghana. He is here visiting in the States and is here with us tonight, so make sure you say hi to him and his lovely wife. They just celebrated an anniversary and uh, glad to have them with us. also want to say that if you haven't done so already, there are some forms in the lobby. Eddie mentioned this morning that we are uh, going to appoint some new deacons, so take a form put those names down and turn those back in. You can also go to the QR code that's in the bulletin, take a picture of that. It will lead you to, you know, an electronic version of that form. But uh, this is an exciting time. Adding deacons is exciting, and that's what we're talking about tonight. So when you talk about deacons, naturally, the passage you're going to look at is Isaiah chapter 6, right? So turn there with me. (laughs) Isaiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim were standing above him, each having six wings, with two each covered his face, and with two each covered his feet, and with two each flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe to me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and atonement is made for your sin. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. Sometimes we volunteer for things with hesitancy. We may do the half-hand up kind of thing. We're thinking about it. We don't really want to do it, but we know that somebody needs to do it, so maybe we half-heartedly volunteer. Admit it, you've probably been in a meeting, maybe at school, maybe at work, maybe at church, and somebody asks for volunteers, and what do you do? Start looking down, thumbing through stuff, acting like, you know, you don't want to make eye contact, right, because you're afraid they'll call on you. It's hard sometimes to volunteer for some things. Because we don't know what we're getting ourselves into. We've all been there. We've been reluctant. We have been hesitant to volunteer for something. Many people live their lives that way, head down, no eye contact, refusing to raise their hand. We may get by with this in our jobs, in school, maybe in church to some degree. But as a servant of the Lord, this can't be our MO. We've got to operate differently. Where would the church be without volunteers? You know, we couldn't function without people who were willing to roll up their sleeves and dig in and do something. The church cannot exist without volunteers. This is a volunteer organization. And the church cannot exist, therefore, with certain excuses either. Like, I'm not good at anything. You heard that one? Maybe you've said that one before. You know, the Bible never expresses that there is someone who has zero talent. Never do you find a zero talent individual in Scripture. 
In Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 31, Jesus speaks of the day of judgment and how there's going to be a separation of the sheep and the goats. And the sheep will be those who saw someone who was hungry and gave them something to eat, who saw someone who was thirsty, gave them something to drink, who saw the naked and clothed them, visited the sick and in prison. You know that. And then the goats are the ones who saw the very same people but did nothing. I want you to notice the focus on the day of judgment. It's not PhDs, initials after your name. The focus on the day of judgment is food, clothing, water. Anybody can do that, right? It's not some big grandiose thing. Anybody can provide those needs. You simply have to take notice and volunteer to help. Also, here's another excuse. I don't have time. And, you know, that might be a valid reason in some cases. You know, I, I tell other ministers, I, I'm involved in this mentoring program. Why somebody thinks I need to mentor anybody, I don't know. But it's uh, preachers mentoring other younger preachers. And so I have a young man that I'm preach, uh, uh, mentoring to in, in Chapel Hill, Tennessee. Great young man. Anyway, we were talking about this the other day, and I said, you know, the best word in your vocabulary is no. Being able to say no to certain things. And that's a valid thing sometimes. But you can't say no to everything, right? We create time for the things that we're most interested in. And maybe we're not all that interested in volunteering to do church work. But if we know a volunteer is needed, then we need to create time for that. Here's another one. Well, I gave my money. And certainly that's needed. But the church needs more than a monetary contribution, right? The church needs your time, your effort, your energy. They need your talent and your treasure, the church is not an organization, it's not an institution, it's an organism. It's living, breathing, it's not a civic club, it's not a 5013C, it's more than that, right? It, it's, it's, it's the Christ-bought body of believers, and it functions best when everyone is connected to the head and as a body part is doing their job. What's the first thing that you think when volunteers are requested? What's the first thing that comes to mind? Typically, it's one of two reactions. When, when asking for volunteers, we typically either say, I would, but, or I can, so. I would, but I just got a lot of irons in the fire right now. Or I can, so tell me what you need. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be the smartest. You don't have to be the best looking or the most holy or the worthiest, whatever that means. You just have to be willing. Above all else, Isaiah was willing. Now, he had an excuse at first, and it seems like a very valid excuse. Then I said, woe to me, for I am ruined. It's a pretty valid excuse, right? Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of armies. Isaiah used an excuse that at least on the surface seems to be pretty valid. I'm a sinner. Isaiah thought that that disqualified him from being a servant, but God forgave him. Notice verses 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and atonement is made for your sin. That's all Isaiah needed. No more excuses. He was now a willing servant, and his words should be our words. Here I am. Send me. Send me. Even though I'm not perfect, I'm redeemed. Send me, even though I am busy, I'll find the time. Send me, even though I have limited ability, I will use what I have. 
Send me, even though I am not worthy, I am willing. Before Isaiah could see the mission that God had for him, he had to see God for who he was. And not only that, Isaiah had to see himself for who he was. And when he viewed himself in standing with God, he realized he couldn't stand. He was a man of unclean lips. He was ruined. However, God changed his perspective by saying, look, you don't have to be worthy. You don't have to be perfect. I will cleanse you. Isaiah views himself as separated from God, a condition brought about as a result of sin. And the prophet knew that he needed forgiveness. God's mission is about salvation. It's about deliverance. It always has been. And we have to understand his mission and see ourselves as a target and as a tool. And once we see ourselves as the target and the tool, we seek forgiveness. We have that forgiveness. And then we see others as a target and a tool. We were once the target. Now we're a tool. The Christian is the conduit through which the story of salvation is to be told. And every person in Christ is a missionary. Every person outside of Christ is the mission field. Does that make sense? story is told that one time millionaire, multimillionaire Warren Buffett dressed up like a homeless man and walked around trying to give financial advice to people. Nobody wanted to listen to him. They thought he was crazy. But when he changed clothes, dressed himself up, he then went to people to give them financial advice. And guess what? They were more than willing to listen because they recognized him as the multimillionaire Warren Buffett. When you have credibility people want to listen to you. When you don't, people seem to turn the other way. Isaiah responds to God's question with a hearty willingness to be the tool. God asks, and who will go for us? And Isaiah responds, here I am, send me. He was well aware of the value of forgiveness, and he now wanted to make the people around him aware of that as well. Now, Let's take that and apply it to deacons, because as was mentioned this morning, we are a growing congregation that needs more special servants, and so we are beginning the process of appointing deacons. What do we think of commonly when we think of deacons? Commonly, we think of men who are appointed to do a job. That's it. We have a task. We appoint the men to do the task, whatever the task is. Here's the job, go and get the job done. Mission accomplished. What if we thought of the deaconship as something bigger? What if we thought in grander terms? What if every elder, every member, every deacon looked at the task within the Lord's church with a mission mindset rather than a task-oriented mindset? What if everything we did centered around making and growing disciples? So instead of appointing a man to do a task, we're appointing a man to serve in a ministry with the goal of making and growing disciples. What if? Think about this with me. So instead of Steve Brown handling the sound, instead of giving him a task to say, hey, Steve, can you make sure we can hear? How about we say, Steve, can we make sure that our sound, our audiovisual stuff is in tip-top shape so that 
we can make and grow disciples? So that the people that are here sitting in the pew, the people that are watching online, can get the full effect of what it is we're trying to do? You see, we could go to Steve and we could say, hey, Steve, uh, can you get a, a, a monitor in the nursing mother's room so that they can see it while they're in there? And he may say, okay, let me add that to the list. I've got a long list. I'll add that to the list. Or we can go to Steve and say, hey, Steve, can we put monitors in places where people are going to be, like the nursing mother's room? Because we want to make sure that when people are here, that they get the full effect of what we're trying to do, that they can hear the message, that it's readily available to them, because ultimately, we're not trying to put forth a good show or a good product. We're trying to make and grow disciples. What if the elders made it about mission instead of task, right? And I say what if because I believe that's what our elders are trying to do. Our elders are trying to make this about mission and not just task. It's about thinking bigger and doing better. It's about making and growing disciples. We are relationship-oriented. We are mission-minded. Everything we do seeks to accomplish a goal. And what is the goal? Say it with me. Make and grow disciples. You ever forget it's on the front of your bulletin? Because our bulletin and our website are the first point of contact that many people have with Oldham Lane. And what do we want them to see right off the bat? That we are a church with a mission to make and grow disciples. It's not our mission. That's God's mission. You can find it in the Bible, right? Everything we do seeks to accomplish a bigger goal. So we don't view things as tasks. We view them as a part of the mission. Is this not what the first appointed servants within the church did? It's exactly what they did. Acts chapter 6, read, uh, read with me beginning in verse 1. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number... A complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. The first church, not unlike Oldham Lane, was growing rapidly, and needs were cropping up that were becoming too big for the shepherds to deal with on their own, and they were taking away from their number one responsibility, which was prayer, ministry to the people, right? They needed to focus on shepherding the flock, so they summoned the congregation to select seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, who could take care of the task that needed to be fulfilled. And so seven men were chosen, and these seven men met the need. But I want you to notice something here, something that often gets overlooked, these men served, they fulfilled the task, they did not shirk their responsibility, they made certain that these Hellenistic Jews were not overlooked. However, they did not allow the task 
to hinder them from their number one responsibility. Look at Acts chapter 8, verse 5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. It was Philip who taught the Ethiopian eunuch from Isaiah. It was Philip who baptized him. Philip was one of the seven who helped those Hellenistic Jews, but his service went beyond fulfilling a physical task. His number one priority was not serving tables. His number one priority was making and growing disciples. Stephen is another one of those seven. He will always be known as the first Christian martyr. He wasn't killed because he waited on tables. You know that, right? He was put to death because he boldly proclaimed Jesus Christ and the message of the cross. And he rebuked those who opposed this message, calling them stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. That was enough to get him stoned. Stephen and Philip are prime examples of men who were appointed as servants, special servants in the church, but were not limited to physical tasks. Yes, they had a responsibility to do the job that was assigned to them, and they did that. They performed that ministry. The serving of tables was no excuse, though, to not use their God-given abilities and talents. It was about something bigger. Okay, so tables need to be waited on. Somebody needs to do that. Here I am, send me, I'll do it. But now I don't forget about everything else. I serve these tables, but it doesn't mean that I neglect my number one responsibility. In fact, I serve these tables and then I get right back to doing what I'm supposed to be doing, boldly proclaiming the message. They were dedicated to the spreading of the gospel. They took care of those physical needs that they were assigned to, but they also supported the apostles in the work of the church, which was making and growing disciples. Thank you. Paul discoursed with the brethren until midnight. That means that you can talk back, okay? God tells Isaiah, go and tell this people. And like Isaiah, we're told to go as well. But I want you to notice the details of God's plan for Isaiah. Verses 9 and 10. And he said, go and tell this people, keep on listening but do not understand. And keep on looking but do not gain knowledge. Make the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes blind, so that they will not see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. God tells Isaiah to go, but... I mean, he's pretty honest and upfront with him. It's not going to be easy. In fact, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be next to impossible. They're not going to return to the Lord. Unlike Isaiah, Israel wasn't willing to see and hear the Lord. They were insensitive, which in the Hebrew word can mean to grow and make fat. Israel's heart had become fat and calloused, and the word of God could not penetrate it. And Isaiah was going to preach to the people, but they were going to put their hands over their ears and and their hands over their eyes. Isaiah asked God how long, and the answer God gives him must have been quite unexpected. Notice what it states in verses 11 and 12. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until cities are devastated and without inhabitant. Houses are without people, and the land is utterly desolate. The Lord has completely removed people, and and there are many forsaken places in the midst of the land. To put it simply, God says, go and do the job until it's done. Until there's no one left. Cities will be devastated and left with no inhabitants. Houses will lie empty. The land will be utterly desolate. But until that day comes, you keep doing what I have commissioned you to do. And I say that because doing the Lord's work is challenging. 
whether you're a deacon or an elder or the preacher or not. If you get involved, you will be disappointed, you will have heartache, there will be difficult times. It's not for the faint of heart, and it's certainly not for the weak of faith. So why would anyone ever want to do it? Why would anyone ever want to take on this responsibility? Because, like Isaiah, we understand that we are the only hope for a lost world. And like Isaiah, we have come to understand that we are the we are the chosen servants that God has asked us to be. He's called upon us. And if we don't go, then who will? If not us, then who? We need a paradigm shift in the way that we think of deacons. And really anybody in the church as far as someone who's a servant. We need a shift in the way we think. We need to understand that the spiritual comes before the physical. It's not just about carrying out a task. It's understanding the why. Why are you carrying out that particular task? Because you're bought into the mission of making and growing disciples. Once you've invested in the why, then you can move to the how. You don't start with the how, you start with the why. How do I carry out the task and accomplish the ultimate goal? And all too often what happens is a deacon is assigned a task and the only goal is to get it done. Just get it done. That's the only goal. But just getting it done falls short of what the task really is, of what we're all about. You see, here's what I believe. I believe with all my heart that if you choose the right person and you give them the right direction to carry out the right mission, they will do the right job. There will be right success. We have the right direction here. We have the right mission. You're going to select the right people. But as you consider who to select as prospective deacons, I want you to consider one thing above all else. Consider the heart. Often what we do when we consider deacons is we turn right to the qualifications. Nothing wrong with that. They do have to meet those qualifications or they're not qualified. But that's not just a checklist, right? And there are men in this church, there are men in every church that not only meet the qualifications, but also have the right heart, that are spirit-led and spirit-filled, and that's who you're looking for. Because there are some within our churches that can check off the qualifications, but you don't want them serving. Are they led by the Spirit? Are they filled with the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do they exhibit those things in their lives? Because that's another list of qualifications we don't often turn to when we talk about elders and deacons. Do they meet that list of qualifications? You can check off the qualifications that are mentioned by Paul at the same time. A person cannot have the right heart. A person can be a sourpuss. You don't want those people in that position. A true servant distinguishes themselves through humble acts of service to those who don't expect it and who are unable to repay it. That's being relationship-oriented and mission-minded. And that's exactly what it takes to make and grow disciples. Here's a few truths that we need to consider about servants. 
First of all, the size of the task is irrelevant. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what the size of the task. Secondly, servants do every task with equal dedication. The words of Paul are written on their hearts. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Servants are willing to do whatever is needed. And finally, small tasks show a big heart. No task is beneath you. Great opportunities often disguise themselves in small tasks. The little things often determine the big things. There will always be more people willing to do the big things rather than the little things. Be willing to do the little things. Show yourself a worker by being faithful in the little things. Here's what I would hope for every church is that the eldership in every church is able to say, I don't know. That's what I would hope for every eldership in every church, and that's what I would hope for this eldership, the great shepherds that we have here, the awesome elders we have here. I would hope that they can get to a point where they can say, I don't know. That you come up to them and you say, hey, what's going on with uh, the sound? I don't know. What's going on with uh, the fellowship? Who's, who's setting up for that? I don't know. Wouldn't that be a great place to be as an eldership? Or Chris, you can just say, I don't know. You see, I think elders sometimes believe they got to know everything. No, the best thing that an eldership can do is get to a place where they can say, I don't know. You know why? Because the deacon's taking care of that. I'm dedicated to prayer and to, and to taking care of the flock. That's my job as an elder. My job's not tables. My job's not sound. That's not my job. So I don't know about those things because you selected men that we appointed to take care of that. And i got to get back to doing what a shepherd does. That would be the best thing, right? It's if elders could say, I don't know. Because they don't have to know. Why do you have deacons if elders are doing it all the time? I hope you understand where I'm coming from. These special servants take care of a special task, but the spiritual become, comes before the physical. It's about something bigger than being task-oriented. It's about being relationship-oriented. It's about being mission-minded. It's not just about accomplishing a feat. It's about making and growing disciples. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Send me to wash feet. Send me to visit the hospital. Send me to take out the trash. Send me to set up tables and chairs. Send me to count the contribution. But most of all, send me to be you to the people who need you. That's the role that we're looking for certain men to fulfill. But not only that, that is the responsibility of each and every one of us here in this place. To be disciples who make and grow disciples. Let's pray. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for another day together. God, we know there's a time to gather and there's a time to scatter. And as we scatter from this place, may we, may we be Jesus to those around us. May we glorify you in all that we do. Please help us through this process of selecting deacons. May we choose the right men for the right job who understand the right mission, and who understand that it's about something bigger than just a task. God, help us all to understand that. Help us all to buy into the mission and to make and grow disciples. We love you, God. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. Luke's going to lead us in a song. If we can help you tonight, 
um, in any way, why don't you come as we stand and as we sing?